Appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to actually two scriptures, both in the book of Luke. First is Luke 24. I'm going to keep a finger in Luke 24 and then turn to Luke chapter 1. And we'll look at both of these scriptures starting with Luke 1. In March of 2010, an atheist group at the University of Texas held what they called a smut for smut campaign. For three days, atheist agenda members gave students pornographic magazines in exchange for Bibles or other religious texts, saying religious books contain violence, spark religious wars, advocate for the mistreatment of women, and therefore they're no better than pornography. It's interesting, many of the uh, objections to Christianity revolve uh, around the Bible. They, they center on the Bible. These objections sometimes are partially positive. You know, there's many good things in the Bible, some people say, but you can't take every word of it literally. Or else it's spoken totally negative, that, that the Bible is uh, harmful and, and damaging. But both of those are actually saying that the Bible cannot be trusted to the point where you should believe it to where you're going to follow its teachings and you're going to accept this book as being authoritative in your life. Some of the common statements about the Bible is that it's historically unreliable, inaccurate, it's been disproven, or it's culturally regressive or repressive. And so... We've been looking, uh, started a few weeks ago, we're looking at some common objections to uh, Christianity, a series I've entitled Dealing with Doubt. We're going to look at the issue of the Bible tonight. Is the Bible reliable? We're going to begin by looking at uh, Luke chapter 1 where Luke tells, he's a, a medical doctor, and he explains why did he write what we call the book of Luke. And then in chapter 24, it is Jesus who's risen from the dead. And it's very interesting that he deals with some of his own followers who are having doubts because of their misunderstandings. And the Bible, very interestingly, says that he shows them Scripture. So read with me, starting in, in Luke chapter 1, we'll read just the opening verses. Here is Luke, he is explaining, why am I writing this down? Inasmuch... Luke 1, one is inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things in the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So... He begins by saying, I am going to write down, I have been speaking to personal eyewitnesses of these events. I'm putting them in order. And he writes it to a man. He would have been a prominent member of society named Theophilus. This was a common uh, uh, way of, of uh, uh, giving validity. But he's saying, I am going to write down because I personally spoke to the eyewitnesses. Now skip to chapter 24. 
Verse 13, Jesus has been crucified, risen from the dead. Verse 13, now two of them, these are two of his followers, were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. They talked together of all those things which happened. So it was as they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and walked with them, but their eyes were restrained, so they didn't know him. He said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another while you walk, and why are you sad? Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, he answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? You haven't known the things which happened uh, there in those days? And he said, What things? They said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, how the chief priests, our rulers, delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early admonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels uh, who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Verse 25, this is Jesus' answer to someone who is misunderstanding things. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered all these things and to enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Is the Bible reliable? I want to begin, I want to talk about the trustworthy book. This book that I'm holding in my hand is God's word to man. It is God's self-revelation. He tells us about himself. It is in this book you can know who God is and what he wants uh, for people. And it is an astounding book. The, the Bible is actually a collection of 66 different books that were written over roughly 2,000 years by 40 different authors in three different languages, in uh, uh, three different continents of the world. Some of those 40 writers included some who were scholars, some were kings, shepherds, fishermen, prophet, uh, uh, prophets, and a military general, a cupbearer, and a priest. All of them wrote. And yet, when you put those 66 together, you have a unified book. Over 2,000 years, different languages Different, different continents, and yet they agree. And they do not contradict the other which you would expect over such vast uh, amounts of people and vast amounts of time. Six logical reasons. I want you to think about why the Bible can be trusted. Number one, the New Testament accounts of Jesus are written too early to be Legends. We started in, in Luke chapter 1. The reason why, Luke wrote his account between 30 and 40 years after the events happened. And he says, I spoke to these people myself. He writes to a public official and, and what he's saying is, you can check these things. The Bible tells us that Paul, who was an opponent of Jesus Christ originally, that he, he wrote after he was converted, even 
uh, closer in time, 15 to 20 years. And Paul says uh, there's more than 500 people that saw Jesus alive at the time he was writing. That was something that could either be proven or disproven. And so we understand that it was written too early. If you're talking about something that happened a long time ago, you can make up whatever you want. But he is writing to people who would have known some of these characters. Number two, the the documents that are written in the Bible are too counterproductive in their content. In their content. Verse 22 says something very interesting. And it says, as they're discussing... That, now, think about this. Jesus Christ is going to found a new religion. If you're going to found a new religion, what you want is you want credible people. And so, who is it that he appears to first? Verse 22, the Bible says the original eyewitnesses were women. And the reason why that is significant is in ancient times, the status of women, you couldn't, a woman couldn't even testify in court. They wouldn't accept her testimony. So, if you're wanting to trick the world, this is not how you go about it. That doesn't make common sense. And so, that is not the way you do it. We read the stories here. And, and you know how it is. Listen, when people want to convince you of something, they only show the good side. Isn't that right? There's infomercials and there are people on TV. After I tried this, it's incredible. They never say, you know what, I tried this. It tasted, uh, uh, you know, it tasted terrible and I vomited for a week. But you should try it. No, no, no. They'll never have that. It's interesting that the, uh, Hillary Clinton has just released a book and memoirs and Preparation for writing is fascinating there. How I read yesterday that she argued with uh, uh, with Obama about the narrative of Benghazi. She was against this. And so this, because that's human nature. You present. Hillary was fighting for the truth. Hillary was on the side of the people. Because that is how you trick people. You only say good things. But in fact, when you read the Bible, what do we read? It tells us how some of the main followers of Jesus Christ were filled with pride, impetuous, constantly fighting and saying stupid things. That is not the way that you gain. That is, that is counterproductive. So why would you include these accounts only if it's true? That's why. Because it is a true account. Thirdly, these accounts in the Bible are too detailed in their form. One of the things you will often hear is that the Bible is filled with legends. You know, it's just one of those legends that came over time. The problem is that ancient legends were not incredibly detailed. Now, modern fiction writing takes this and you add in all these kinds of details. C.S. Lewis, who was an expert in ancient literature, he said, I've been reading poems, romances, Vision, literature, legends, myths, all my life. I know what they're like, and not one of them is like the Bible. Of this text, speaking of the Bible, there's only two possible views. Either this is reportage. In other words, someone is simply stating what happened. Or some unknown writer in the second century, without any known predecessors, no one before ever doing this, or successors doing it after him, 
suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern, novelistic, realistic narrative. And he says, the reader who doesn't see this has simply not learned to read. So, now, this is a professor, of course. He's speaking very condescending to people who aren't professors. But, but he's saying, if, if you don't understand that, that is not the way legends read. They don't add in these incredible details. And so, this is a, 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 gives us an understanding of the Bible. Fifthly, archaeology. Uh, or, or fourthly, rather, the ancient texts are accurate. This is very common. I've, over the years, had numbers of people... Who, people who have actually never even read the Bible, they say, yeah, the Bible's been changed too many times. This has been copied and copied and it's changed and it's nothing like the original. And, and this has been taken on by people that they simply accept that, yeah, you can't trust the Bible because it's been copied, it's been changed too much. That is absolutely not true. I want you to understand something is... Concerning the ancient biblical texts, there are too many of them that you can still read today. And to compare, let me, let me give you just one so you can get your head around this. Ancient texts, ancient stories written by someone. Julius Caesar wrote a history called the Gallic Wars. These were, this is a history of uh, wars in France. And so when he wrote that, if you were to want to know, is what we're reading today accurate? The problem is there's only 10 texts that you can compare with. Of the New Testament, however, there are more than 24,000. 5,536 are complete and entire you can go back and read through the centuries and they are the same they have not changed and so this is something one of the problems we have is we think about someone copying the bible by hand we think in modern terms how we would do it we would hire bubba fresh out of school and pay him three bucks an hour he'd have his hat sideways he'd go i could copy the bible right he'd be good and he goes, dude, you left out chapter 5. Oh, man, I was in a hurry. Ancient scribes, this was not at all the way it was. These were men who were absolutely dedicated to their craft. Number one, they took it very seriously. But number two, when they were writing and copying this, every letter had a numerical value, and so to check and ensure that they didn't miss anything or that it wasn't changed. At the end of every column, if you take each letter and it has a number, at the end of the column, that would have a numerical value. When they were finished copying a page, they would check the math, and if the math didn't add up to the original, they got rid of it. And so that is why what we have is accurate. You can read it. This is true of the uh, Old Testament text. I think that there is more than uh, 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 7,000 copies in existence in various forms. And so the ancient texts are accurate and they do agree with what we have. Fifthly, archaeology agrees with the Bible. Some of the things, some of the places, some of the events... 
that happen. You understand there's continually in the in Israel and those places are continual uh, uh, digging and archaeology to find this out. And they have unearthed history. There's never been an archaeological discovery that has disproven or gone against, but rather it confirms what the Bible says. And the final thing that makes it uh, that we can trust it is the prophetic details in the Bible are incredibly accurate. The Bible is filled. One man counted up and said that there's more than two and a half thousand prophecies in the Bible. This means words spoken before an event ever happened. This is what is going to happen. The only way you can say something in advance is if it is inspired of God. Now, if you're just writing in the Enquirer in December, you can write and you can write whatever you want. No one will remember. But the Bible is something that this can all be checked. And there are incredible details. Isaiah prophesied in his day. He said there is going to come a king. This king, and he doesn't say there's going to be a guy. He says there is going to be a king and his name will be Cyrus. And then he says Cyrus will destroy Babylon. Cyrus will conquer Egypt. Now, that is not something. He did that 180 years before Cyrus was born. That's, that's incredibly accurate. In fact, there was a king. His name was Cyrus. He did destroy Babylon. He did conquer Egypt. Daniel, he speaks in his days. He said there's going to come a decree understanding the end of uh, captivity, the 70 years. And he gives such an incredibly accurate prophecy is 360 biblical years. You do the math of these are, uh, 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 you add these up. He says, from the day that the decree is made until the day that the Messiah is announced into Jerusalem is going to be 173,880 days. Not, you know, someday there's going to come. That is incredibly specific. Jesus Christ, you can check the math, you can check the dates on this. Jesus Christ came in in what's called the triumphal entry into Jerusalem exactly 173,880 days after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. More than 2,000 of the prophecies in the Bible have already been fulfilled. One man did the mathematical chances. What are the chances that all those prophecies could be fulfilled Without error, it's less than 1 in 10 to the 2,000th power. That is 1 with 2,000 zeros written after it. That's such a big number, you can't even comprehend it. And so this is an incredibly accurate book. So let's talk secondly about misunderstanding the Bible. Because in the scripture, Jesus is dealing with the problem of blindness. Verse 15 and 16 in the message translation, Jesus came and himself and walked with them and they were not able to recognize who he was. Now, here's a problem. Jesus had been telling what was going to happen. 
But now these are even his own followers, and they're talking and they're sad, and they're saying, it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. It's, it's, I, I don't think that it's accurate what Jesus was saying. And Jesus himself, this is a little bit of, uh, you know, don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Jesus shows up. Hey, guys, what are you talking about? Man, we're talking about Jesus. Really? Tell me about it. Doesn't add up. What he said, it doesn't work. It didn't happen. So, we are dealing with the issue of doubt and this sometimes is, is true in believers, as we find in this scripture. But we are dealing in a world with people who are not followers of Jesus. And they claim that the Bible doesn't add up. So let me, let me address a few issues about people who don't think that the Bible adds up. It is possible, if you're questioning the Bible... That you are simply misunderstanding the Bible. That is a real possibility. There are people who I, I quoted in the introduction some of the things and, and uh, some of the objections. Why don't you believe that the Bible is an authority? And they will say things because, uh, uh, the, 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 you know, the Bible is for the repression of women. And, and why would you feel that? And they'll say, because you can read in the Old Testament, there's polygamy. There, they got multiple wives. And you see women there that, that uh, read the story of Jacob and Esau, and, uh, or uh, uh, Jacob, rather, and uh, getting his wife. And, uh, and, and here the wives are just given away. So the Bible is for the repression of women. But let me point out a simple thing that actually is a misreading of the Bible. Let me, let me point out one simple thing. Every story of polygamy in the Bible is a disaster. Is that right? What happens when people have multiple wives? They fight. Their lives are hell. I hardly think that God is going, let me tell you some great things about polygamy. You're going to fight and your life is hell. Go for it. No, you actually have been misreading the Bible. Why is it telling you only negative things about polygamy? Because it's against it. It's not for it. And so this is common. There are people, they come, they read something the Bible, go, hey, the Bible said, you know, it might simply be that you are misunderstanding it, right? I mean, that's possible. Number two, it's also possible that you can be blinded by your own culture. We are looking at life through Western and specifically, primarily, American eyes. So Jesus comes, why are you, why are you depressed? And the reason why these two Jewish men are depressed is because culturally they were expecting a military conqueror. In our culture, the Messiah is going to come. This is going to be great. We're going to overthrow the Romans and the Jews are going to rule the world. And so, in other words, they said that's the way that life should be because Jews feel that that's important. We're free and we rule the world. But Jesus says the problem is... 
you have interpreted everything that I've been telling you. You've been interpreting this book through Jewish eyes and Jewish hopes and Jewish values. And so, therefore, you came to an incorrect conclusion about what God said. God is not wrong in what he said. It's your cultural expectations. There are things that people object to in the Bible. But I want to point out to you some of the things that people object to. It is because they are from the West. It's because they're American. There are other people in the world. If you were to tell them, you know what? You know what it says here about what women should be? There are other people in the world that go, what's wrong with that? (laughs) In fact, (laughs) they actually have ideas that are much more radical. So this is one of the problems that we have that, you know, there are other cultures that object to American things. So this is, it is the height of arrogance to claim that because you're an American, you then can judge God's book, because it doesn't line up with your American views. Thirdly, here's the real issue, is that personal agendas always distort what we see. What's happening in the Scripture is that for these disciples, Scripture didn't line up with what they wanted. Here's the question, why are people so driven to attack the Bible? There are people who spend their time suing to remove Scripture. Ah, they got a Ten Commandments on the wall. We got to get that off. That's evil. Why are people so driven to attack the? If you don't believe the Bible, don't read it, right? But but it's, there's something driving this. The Bible is more than a collection of stories. It's more than a collection of teachings or ethics. It has a central theme, and that theme is Jesus Christ. Verse 27, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The Old Testament is preparation for Jesus Christ, why you need him. The New Testament is the history of Jesus Christ. And then the Acts and the epistles is how does it work out in everyday living? And so this book has a central theme that we were created for relationship with God. That's human beings. But we choose to be rebels against God. What is sin? Sin is rebellion. I reject God's rules. And then we suffer the consequences of that in this life and face judgment in the world to come. The Old Testament points to our need of a Savior. And the New Testament shows us who is the Savior? Jesus Christ. Jesus says, this book is about me. The problem is personal agendas always bring opposition. Matthew twenty-seven eighteen. Pilate knew that they had turned Jesus over to him because of envy. I want to be honest with you. If you want to do wrong, if you don't want to do right you're going to have lots of doubts. And they will not be fixable. Not because they can't be, but because we don't want them to be. Luke 16, very interesting. Jesus allows us 
a glimpse into eternity. There's a real man. And he's in hell. And he says such fascinating words. He says, you need to send somebody to preach to my family so that they don't wind up in this place. And he says, if someone rose from the dead, it wouldn't be enough. That's a pretty radical statement. Knock at the door. Who is it? It's your cousin. He's been dead for 20 years. And here, I would think that'd be pretty authoritative. But Jesus says, no, it wouldn't be. Because here is the power of our will. Moral issues blind us. When we are filled with pride that we won't let go of, when there's greed for money, when there's sexual desires... What happens is you then have people who say, I can't believe. I can't trust the Bible. I want to be honest with you. Your personal opposition does not remove accountability. Some years back, Brandon Pepich, he had brought a guy to me. He said, Pastor, you got to talk to this guy. Standing at the door at the entrance. And this guy looked at me and he said... If you compare the lists of names in, I can't remember, it Kings, and then you compare the list of names in Chronicles, there are some missing names. Hmm? Hmm? And I, I burst out laughing. I said, you've been losing sleep over this? Oh, there's names missing. I can't, how are they? <laughs> I laughed. I said, you've never heard of Editing? Right? So, in other words, in his mind, he found what he thought was an error. And so the error removes response. I don't know what he thought I was going to do. I was going to go, that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to announce I'm resigning as pastor tonight. I didn't know there's two lists and there's different names. What a mistake to think that, that if you found an error that that will remove responsibility. Does that work anywhere else in life? Right? There's errors in the tax code. Try not paying your taxes. And then just tell the IRS, nah, when you get me an infallible tax code. But, but somehow, human beings think they can do that to God. And this is why there are atheist websites where they encourage people, look at that. Pour over the list, find something that's different or somehow inaccurate in there. Let's close. Let's talk about the supernatural book. Jesus opened Scripture to them. They're having doubts. He goes back to Scripture. You're misunderstanding Scripture. Let me make it clear. But his answer is the Scripture. And he shows them God's plan. Number one, they saw their need of a Savior. That is what he's showing from Moses and the prophets. They needed a savior. We are all guilty before God and separated from God because of our rebellion. I don't care what form of rebellion that sin uh, takes. And we can't fix this by ourselves. We need a savior. That's the answer of every, uh, uh, in, in any religion, the question that has to be asked is this. What are you going to do about sin? How can you be right with God? And Jesus opens scripture and verse 26 says that he must 
suffer. How are you right with God? Only because of a Savior. Not because of ethics. Try hard. Be good. Keep your nose clean. He must suffer. A Savior. Number two, they, they saw God's provision of a Savior. The plan of the Bible is substitution. One who suffers in the place of another. In the Old Testament, the Bible says it was a shadow. Animals would die in place of people. But that was imperfect and had to be continual. But here, Jesus Christ suffered once in our place and never has to do it again. That's how good his substitutionary sacrifice was. And thirdly, they saw God's power of a Savior. Verse 26, not only that he suffered, but that he entered into his glory. This is the hope of the gospel. It's more than just, I have a whole bunch of rules in here. You better clean up your act. But he is talking about the power of sin that has been defeated so that we can go free. And in when Jesus begins to talk about Scripture to them, the Bible says something supernatural happened. Because this book is more than information. This book is supernatural. Hebrews says it's alive. It's powerful. There's something there. Verse 32, our hearts burn within us. They were transformed. When they heard the words of Scripture, something changed on the inside because this book is not just a collection of essays about ethics or morals or rules. It is something supernatural. And when people read this book, something supernatural happens. Very interesting that there have been numbers of atheists and agnostics that have tried to disprove Christianity. And in doing so, they wound up embracing it because they saw the evidence. George Littleton was an 18th member, uh, century member of uh, parliament. And uh, he was trying to prove that Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, was not converted to Christianity. But when he saw the evidence, he became a Christian. Gilbert West, Oxford student, Try to disprove the resurrection, and he became converted instead. In modern days, Lee Strobel, who was legal affairs editor of the Chicago Tribune, he was an avowed atheist, but when he saw the radical change in his wife when she became converted to Christianity, he said, I have to find out for myself, began to investigate it, and at the end of it, he said, it would require much more faith for me to maintain my atheism than to trust in Jesus of Nazareth. You know what's interesting is that no other religion has those kinds of testimonies. There's nobody who said, "I just I'm really doubting Islam, but I'm going to I'm going to investigate it." And after I investigated it, man, I saw the truth and I I got delivered from drugs. <laughs> Buddhism, man, has just been really bugging me and I'm going to find out. But in Christianity you find this. I close with this story. We uh, just sent Josh Lobato, he's a missionary in Suzhou, China. This is where he's going to locate. Now we have three workers in Suzhou. He sent me an email last week. He said, I ran into a man and started talking to him. You understand this communist, and so sometimes they have to, you don't know who is who, and so they have to be careful sometimes. But he said, I felt the doors open for a full witness. Sometimes they'll just invite him to a, 
English class and then see how it goes. But he said, I gave him a full witness and I prayed with him. He said he took as, uh, uh, in his history class, they uh, had him study the Bible. And the reason why they had him, you got to imagine, this is communist China. Study the Bible because they say the Bible is filled with exaggerated stories. But he said, as I began to read this book of exaggerated stories, he said something changed inside. He said, I I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what to do. But I knew that the stories I was reading in this book and the stories about this man Jesus was real. Josh said, when I prayed with him, he felt God so strong. He was amazed. He could feel the power inside him that he had read about in the Bible. He asked me to write down that prayer. And uh, uh, he said that I prayed with him and uh, sent it to him by text so that he could begin saying this prayer with his family because he said, I want them to feel what I feel. Think about it. He's in a communist nation. They're saying, read this book so you see what a lie it is. But that's not what happened. Because this is a supernatural book. People who have doubts, it can change your life. People who are not right with God, it can change your life. People who are Christians, I pray that you never lose sight of what a supernatural book this is. This book can be trusted. You can base your life. And it really is the final authority for all of our life. It's God's book, the Bible. Let's bow our heads.